Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Shabbos. It's soon going to be Shabbos. Uh, this, is Parsh, this week is Parshish Kedushim. It also happens to be Yom Atzimut Israel Day, Israel Defense Day, whatever, fifth year, which is kind of an interesting overlap. Uh, what do you have to say about Parshish Kedushim? It's very interesting. All these are, but this is particularly interesting because you have this very uh, unclear and enigmatic and fascinating beginning of the Parsha. Kedushim to you. What does that mean? Uh, I know it means to be holy, I get it. But I mean, what does it mean? And here we have a very large uh, idea. This is the basis of what we call Hasidus Apricius, being a Hasid or a Parish in Judaism. Uh, which means, if you know what I'm talking about, going beyond what you're required to do. Lifting the Meshur Sadin. Chassid means you do more in terms of mitzvahs than you're required to do. Let's say, for example, you give tzedakah, I don't know, something like that. So you give extra tzedakah, you know, something like that. More than you're required. That's a chassid. And a parish is the flip side. You're machmer and things you don't necessarily have to be machmer on. You just want to be not telling, the, the, the main point is it's not legal, it's not something required, you don't tell somebody else what to do, it's your business. If you start telling other people what to do, you're not chaser parsh anymore, or at least you're pain in the neck. But uh, if you're the real thing, it's your business, it's your life, and this is what you want to do, lishma, because you want to do for to make God feel better. That's the exact meaning of this. And if you look at the oldest commentary on Kedoshim Tio, on the beginning of this parsha, it's the uh, oldest medish, the, the Sephirah, the Torah's Konim. And what does it say? Kedoshim to you means Prushim to you, be a parish. Which is the same thing as being a chassid. Kaddish Atzimah, if you like that phrase. All of which are the same, which means that even though it's you're allowed to do it, but you're afraid from doing it. Why do you refrain from doing it? I think it would make Hashem feel happy. That's how the person thinks. If I refrain from doing this because I'm... I'm it shows I embrace the law. I don't look at the Torah simply as something I'm required to do. By the way, that's pretty good too. Not to knock that down. Somebody in this day and age, in 2019, if he says, I, I, I believe in the Torah, I want to keep all the mitzvahs and all stuff, I want to punch the clock, daven every day, keep Shabbos, hold it. That's, that's pretty good. Okay, We call that a tzaddik. Halavai, you should get to the level of a tzaddik. But there's something beyond that called a chassid, right? A parish. Uh, and that means that what I just described before, fulfilling all the laws aren't enough for that person because he's moved emotionally to say, I'd like to have a relationship with God. And the relationship will be one of a certain emotion, uh, a certain passion even. You know, uh, 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 there should be feeling involved in it. You see, a person can be philosophical, like sort of the Rambam type, and say, God is an abstraction, which is true. As beyond any hasaga, which is true, and there's no point in focusing 
on any idea of God because whatever you think of is invented, therefore it can't be accurate. You know, like I said many times, you knows you can really be a Maimonidean, and I'm saying it's not to be funny, I'm very serious. And uh, you think very clearly in that way, very logically. In that case, it's almost impossible to have a relationship uh, except one of obedience and duty. I know the Torah, I believe the Torah requires me to do this and wants me to avoid doing that, and that's what I do. Uh, who God is, what God is, that's beyond my hasagas, which is a fact. And therefore, I don't even go there. And terms like Avas Hashem, Yiris Hashem, for such a person will be the love of the truth, since I believe that God exists and He wants me to do it. Therefore, I don't know why He wants me to do it, be a, a, a being beyond my conception can't have a rotten. But nevertheless, I accept it, and therefore I'm doing it. And uh, it's, a, it's an intellectual matter, and I, and I pursue the truth because it is true. The Ramam has a very famous essay on this. It's actually a very eloquent essay. It's called the Hagdama to Perichelet. Everybody should read it. Can't be Jewish without re reading that at least once or twice. The Hagdama to Perichelet in the in the Pish Mishnais. Often reprinted. It's online. It's a hundred places. And he's very eloquent over there, giving you the intellectual way of relating to God, and you regard it as truth, and therefore. You do lishma. Lishma means you do because it's the right thing to do, not because you're expecting any schar or onish or anything of that nature. That is one mahalach. But most people aren't built that way. I don't know if the Rama built that way. Most people say like this: whether it makes sense or not, whether philosophically it's aizgahalton. God is a person, you know, not really, but you know, I feel it's somebody I want to have a relationship with. Just like I, I know a friend, I know my wife, I know others. You know, I, I can't be just like that. And I have to have something that is in the kishkas, not just in the brain. And that person, or it's not a person, but that other being, God, in other words, is someone which I have to have a relationship by way of, of emotions, just like I do with any other human being. I have positive emotions, I have negative emotions. But if you have a relationship, then there is emotion involved. Let me explain. If I'm walking in the street and I pass somebody, I have nothing to do with them, a total stranger. I have no relationship with them. So I have no emotion involved. I'm passing somebody at a car driving by me. You know, I have no relationship with them. Therefore, I'm no, I, I, I intellectually see the car and I intellectually realize there's another human being over there. But thus it does. If there's somebody, on the other hand, that I interact with, I have a relationship. I either like them, I dislike them. But is there emotion involved? So Mr. Abanish alone person either likes them or doesn't, doesn't like them. That's a mysticism, you see. That's not philosophy, that's mysticism. That's where the mysticism comes from in every religious tradition in the world. And Judaism obviously has a very profound mystical tradition. Uh, you can read it in the Bible, right? King David is always talking about the fact, I'm going crazy over you. Don't share a shirim, right? It's supposed to be about the fact that uh, I'm going nuts over God. Just I would go over nuts of a girl, the guy said, the author, right? You know, that, that whole way of relating, the emotional one, that's a mystical one. And that's related to Kedoshim to you. Right? See? That's the way we understand it. That the person wants to be a chassid. Just like, for example, if I had somebody, I wanted to make him or her feel good. So I buy him a present, even if I didn't necessarily expect to get something out of it. I think I've told this much a hundred times, probably on here also, but I don't mind repeating it. If you don't mind listening to it, imagine if you had, how's it go? Imagine if you have uh, a guy who, for example, is a, a surgeon and, uh, in Baltimore, Maryland here. 
And uh, he dimes in one of the local shows up from guy. And he's an aged parent. And he's making a lot of money. He's a successful surgeon every time he does an operation. And uh, he works in a hospital. And he has a practice. And he goes to Shachar's. This guy's a real good guy. He gets up in the morning early, go to Shachar's. For all I know, maybe he goes to a Dafyami. Fine. He has an aged father who's living in one of, uh, who's, uh, you know, widowed. And living alone in an apartment. A nice apartment. The son takes care of him. But he lives by himself in the apartment. And the father used to work for, for uh, you know, uh, the post office. He's a retired government worker. Point is, the father can't offer nothing to the son. And then, when the boy's, the son is at show, he gets a text or a letter from the father, an email. Could you do me a favor on the way to work? Can you stop by and go to Dunkin' Donuts and get me something to eat? Get, uh, you know, a, a, a bagel or something like that, a donut. A cup of coffee. And the son really has 100% right to say, listen, I got, uh, you know, uh, patients up to here. And as soon as I get out of show, I got to zoom down to the hospital. And I got stuff to do over there. And I really, notice I have real regular practice. It's not because I don't want to take care of my father. But this it's Monday. It's Tuesday. It's not uh, the weekend. When the weekend comes, I'll take you out. I'll do the rest of it. Right now, I cannot go uh, in my car and go and take off the extra time because it's not budgeted in. To go to Dunkin' Donuts and bring you something, uh, but I'll do it later. That's not a bad son I just described. He's got a life. He's got a. He's got a practice. He's got a profession. Most people are like that. It's not called a derogation of keeping up. Him. Not really. Um, under those circumstances, but let's say this son is a nice boy, and he says, "You know, I'm going to do it." And he went to the Dunkin' Donuts, and he, you know, so he he took twenty minutes, uh, thirty minutes off his schedule. He's a very nice son then. Right, because he went cut cut into his practice. He's a very nice son, uh, and you could say you know he really likes his father. Now, what if instead of going to Dunkin' Donuts, he goes to what we in Baltimore call uh, Goldberg Bagels, you know, bagel shop, and he doesn't get the father a five dollar business, a six dollar business. He comes back with a seventy five dollar business, right? And it's the bagels, whether this and a this and the cream cheese and the coffee, uh, who knows whatever. You know, he said, give me a deluxe situation over here and he runs over to the father's place he gives to the father gives him a hug and says now i gotta run off because i got a my my medical practice what kind of a son is that that's a nice boy right now wait a minute the father never asked for that the father only asked for something from dunkin donuts yeah but he wanted to do more than the father asked this is a famous uh, description given in miss silsey charm he wanted to do more than the father asked why because he wants the father to feel good he says, I know if he, if he indicated he wanted to get a, you know, a donut from Dunkin' Donuts, he'll probably really like if I get, like I say, a $70, $80 business from, from uh, the Goldberg's Bagels. The father never asked for that, which is a fact, and the son knows that the father never asked for that, but he wants to do it anyway to make him feel good. Why does he want to make him feel good? That's a stupid question. Not every family in the world is dysfunctional. Such a thing called a functional family. And functional family, you want your father, your mother, to feel good just because you want them to feel good. That's called lishma. That's the emotionalism. That's that's kadoshim to you. That's you strive. You understand? You strive to have an emotional attachment, and you you don't take the logical attitude, which is God doesn't mean my stuff. He can get along without me, which is a statement of fact. Just like the uh, in, in the case of the father and the and the donut. But the person I'm talking about, so I guess I know he he can survive without it, but he will like if I do this, and I makes me feel good if he feels good, or if it's a mother, whoever it is. Hear what I said? Makes me feel good if they feel good. It's a very interesting approach. You see, that's called Kedoshim to you. That's the heart of 
lifnim mishor sadin. Whether someone expresses it in the positive sense, which is, you know, you do more mitzvahs than required, or in the negative sense. I'll just give an example in the negative sense. Somebody who, honestly speaking, is very machmer in the kashos. Say, I don't need out. Uh, I, you don't, tr- you can trust this action, you can trust that action. I'm not telling anybody else what to do. Me, myself, and I, I in order to avoid the slightest possibility that I should ever do something as trafe, uh, I don't need out. You know, like that ever. Uh, if it's really guided by the desire not to ever um, inadvertently eat something that might not be 100% kosher, that's a very nice thing. Right? That's called parish, preaches. Hasidus and preaches. Without this, no religion stands. If Judaism or any other religion was strictly a question of duty, of fulfilling your obligations, uh, it, it doesn't last more than a generation or two. That's what history teaches you. Uh, that's true of everything in life. Imagine, for example, you have a shoal. If the whole shoal simply consists of everybody paying their dues, whatever they're required to, and nobody goes the extra mile to put in time and effort and passion into helping the place run and all the rest of it, the shoal's going to fall apart. If you have a marriage, you have one of these weirdo ma- I've heard of such a thing, by the way. You know, he their their roles are precisely defined, and he does... You know, if he drinks from the cup, he washes it, and she drinks from her cup. She washes it, and nobody's allowed to go and, 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 and ask the other one to do anything. You can imagine like that, you're looking for trouble as far as I'm concerned. And that's not going to last. You can't have it simply on law. It has to be on positive emotion. Positive emotion. When you have positive emotion, you take the risk. There might be negative emotion. That's called the life of, uh, that's called real life. You understand? You want to love somebody, you want to like somebody, all the rest of you take a chance that once in a while... This one will say something wrong, that will say something wrong, yeah, and, and, and you'll have a bummer. But the alternative is to have an antiseptic situation in which, you know, you punctiliously fulfill what's required of you, the other party also. That's maybe a, a, a business partnership, perhaps. Uh, you know, something like that. But that's not a relationship. And that's not called Kedushim to you. So the Jewish religion has never been able to survive in the absence of Kedushim to you. It's very interesting, right? Without Hasidus, the only trick is, and here comes the big problem, the trick is, how does a person decide in what area they want to go the extra mile? Ah, very, very good. That is totally personal. That is totally personal. For example, you can't say, why don't you learn extra hour? Maybe I'm not into learning. Not everybody's built like that. On the other hand, some people are. So, some people express their chasidus, for example, in... Uh, you know, learning uh, all night, like the Vilna Gorn or somebody like that. I get it. But somebody else isn't built that way. So then how do they express their Hasidus? It might be by Jordi Hatzola or one of these or Shomrim or Misaskim or these sorts of things. And one helped the Tibor. That's their way. Someone else might do it by, uh, you know, being active in some uh, Chesed organization or something like that. Someone else might do it by uh, helping someone who's, uh, you know, uh, challenged in some way or another. But for somebody else, that doesn't work. Just like there's some people out there that can stand the sight of blood, it doesn't bother them at all, and other people who totally can't stand the sight of blood, you have to consult who you are to know what area can you go lift and be sure it's a din. The big problem we have nowadays, perhaps always, is one, you know, Reuven is telling Shimon, this is how you should be a chassid. Sarah is telling Rivka, this is how you should be a chassid. Can't do that. Because what works for Sarah might not work for Rivka. The only thing we say is, both Sarah and Rivka, each one in her own way, 
should find some area in which they can do Kedushim to you. But what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you. But a person who goes through the whole time with no Kedushim to you whatsoever in their life, there's no area in which you want to express some passion, extra, you know, activity. Maybe you want to get involved. I mean, again, there's a, maybe you want to get involved in your show. Alternatively, maybe you stay out of that. Maybe you want to get involved in helping with a cemetery for all you know. Maybe that's not your cup of tea. But if you can't find some area in which you have a Kedoshim to you uh, component, uh, then, then first of all, you're not fulfilling that mitzvah. And second of all, uh, the rest of it is not going to work out. There's even, I think, a famous Ramban or something like that, if I remember correctly, who says something quite remarkable, which is that um, the Bensora Morer, who gets killed, the child who gets killed, remember he's a child, who gets executed. So he says something along the following lines, that someone is a Zolo of a Soviet, he's, so he's eating it gluttonously the way the Bensora Morer is described in halachic literature, and his Melastomus Abrias, some kid who's growing up that way is a bad seed, and he's going to turn out no darn good when he grows up, and therefore he'll never be, excuse me, he'll never be Kedoshim to you. And someone who doesn't have Kedoshim to you, it's some language like, you know, they forfeit their right to live. Whoa. Forfeit your right to live. Every Jew was put here to be a Kedoshim. Like I said before, you get to pick, if you're honest, what is your area of Kedoshim to you. You think this is my vart? What are you saying? <laughs> I'm laughing at you. What are you saying Shema every day? In the third paragraph. In which you can do kedusha, kedushim to you. So it turns out it's a super mitzvah. You know what I'm saying? It's a super mitzvah. It informs all the others, but it cannot be required, at, you know, in any specific area, which makes it different than the other mitzvahs. Kashrus, I can require you to keep. Shabbos, I can require you to keep. I'm talking about under Jewish law. You know, um, even kibbutz avim, I can require you to keep. Kedushim to you, I can't require you to keep because I don't know what works for you. So I can't judge you that you're not doing Kedoshim to you in this area that I like because that might be, not be the area you like. I hold this very profound uh, vart, and it's one of the major principles of Judaism. Uh, I just want to make one more point. So I said before, since today is uh, Yom Atzimut, the Israel Independence Day, with all the controversy involved in that, Kedoshim to you is said in plural language. It doesn't say Kedosh to Now sometimes the Chumash... It's given in a singular verb, as you know, and sometimes in a plural. Kedushim to you is a plural, which means you should be holy people, you know, to you in plural, which really indicates that the Kedushim to you is only uh, carried out in a communal context. Like I said before, you join an organization that helps the community. You join some activity that helps others. These are generally what we mean by Kedushim. That's, that's the real Hasidus, right? The Hasidus, you do the extra thing in such a way that there's a bunch of people, each one doing his or her own way, and then that makes a kill in a community. Judaism cannot survive in an individual context. That's quite a statement I just made. I'm telling you that as a historian. History shows that theoretically someone could live by themselves in Matana and keep Shabbos and all the rest of it. Theoretically, it never happens. 
You see, not in any long term. Let's put it that way. Not in any long term. To to be Jewish, you have to live in, 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 and be connected with some kind of community, which is a profound word. And not only that, it informs the modern era in Jewish history, especially at least in two hundred fifty years. I I just gave this talk at Hopkins the other day, actually. Uh, if you look at Jewish history, one of the components was always a kahila. There was always a, a community. It used to be autonomous and coercive, which means it was recognized by the non-Jewish state and it was able to compel members of its community, Jews, to keep basic Jewish rules. And if you didn't, there were, there were, there were the legal penalties to pay. But in the last 250 years, we have what we call the modern civil rights and emancipation of the Jews, in which case the secular state replaced the, the secular European state, Western state, replaced the uh, previous Christian one, and part of the secular state is the atomization of, atomization, I say, of community. So there's no such thing as a separate legal Jewish community. So if you're Jewish and you live in America, to give you one example, you can be as Jewish or as not Jewish as you wish. You can have shaykhs all you want with the rest of the Jews or the reverse. And plenty take advantage of both of those. So if you look at Jewish history and Jewish sociology in the last two centuries or so, you see that all the non-from, except in one area, are falling apart. We're living in a time of extreme disintegration of the reform, the conservative, reconstruction, the secular, the socialist, all the others. They're in a state of extreme disintegration. Sometimes the press talks about it, but usually they don't because they're part of that process. <laughs> you know, Little by little, all the non-from Jewish press outlets are going out of, out of business also. So uh, this is one of the uh, you know big stories of our time that they don't talk about. And... What's the reason? Uh, speaking from a secular perspective, absence of community, that's the answer. No group in Jewish life in the last 200 years has been able to create genuine communities in which people feel they're really strongly part of it. There's an emotional component, and you can make demands of them. The reform, the conservative, you can't make demands of anybody. They'll just not come. Uh, even a secular group, you know, JCC can't make demands of anybody. They just won't, won't attend. And so if you have things like federations, associated, and other institutions, all they can do is constantly come up with, with services that they proffer and offer to other Jews and say, please come and join and take advantage of, our, of, of the services we offer. That's not a community anymore. That's like, uh, you know, uh, uh, advertisement trying to get customers to come in. It's a completely different model. And it is not working today. Jews, as you know, are leaving by zillions and intermarrying and just opting out in hundreds different ways, 200 different ways. There's only two groups that I can think of in the last 200 years who, who have been able to create communities. And anyway, two distinct groups, A and B. One is the Orthodox, because the nature of Orthodox Judaism, from, I'm talking about the from Orthodox, is you get a Kehillah and then you do make demands. We can't make legal demands in the United States of America. Can't legally penalize anybody for a chase. I'm being a Mechal Shabbos or whatever. But we make social pressure. Okay, so that's what we have in Baltimore. That's what we have in Muncie. That's what we have in Lakewood. You know, all around the, all over the, all over the world, wherever the Orthodox can, it's just a natural tendency to form a community and try to make that community a social pressure community as much as possible. A lot of us don't like that, and nobody likes to be pressured, especially as a modern American person. You don't like others tell you what to do. Fine, those are the tensions with which we live, and I get it. You know, it's very, it's very interesting in that way. But nevertheless, people will move to a from area of one sort or another. And there'll always be somebody shepherding on them. Uh, to be an Orthodox Jew today means you live in a place where people are only hitting you up for money. 
You go to shul, you go anywhere else. You got mishalachim. You got the schools that are raising the the tuitions. You got other the synagogues raising money, uh, and you and you put up with it because that's the definition of a community. People make demands of you. You get angry and make demands of it. It's it's a living organism. You don't have that outside the orthodox. That's just a big statement I just made, and that's why at the present time in twenty nineteen. Only Orthodox are surviving. The others are disintegrated, as was recently registered in the Pew Report. Uh, I think, if you're intelligent, you know what I just spoke about. I think you, you have a good idea what I mean. There's one other exception. There was another group that in the last 200 years was able to create a community, and that was the Zionists. Isn't that interesting? Because by definition, it's a tautology. They said they're interested in creating a Jewish state, the political ones anyway. They did create a Jewish state. And therefore, in the state of Israel today, you have a couple of million Jews packed together willy-nilly, and that's a community. In fact, it's actually the only autonomous, coercive Jewish community left today. It's real. It's 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 uh. It has coercive powers, right? It's a political state in the modern political system. The only uh, organ that is allowed coercive power is the state, the political state. Israel has a political state. It's autonomous. It's legal. So, um, if you live in Israel, there are demands made of you. As a matter of fact, it's surprising, but it's still true. After 70 years in Israel, even though the majority are not from, they're putting up with all these uh, Rabbanut things. You know, you can't get married if you're going to a Grusha and, uh, you know, uh, a Mamzer. So, you know, all the rules of personal status, as they say, you can only get divorced in a rabbinical court. In this lake, State, hey, you know, in the in the in the twenty first century, people are still in Israel. The Chilunim uh, are willing to uh, put up with a certain amount of coercion in their lives. Of course, they complain, they butch about it. That's what Jews do. People butch about things in America about Trump, you know. But you're in a community; it's a legal community. So the two groups that have any kind of coherence today that are not in extreme straight state of uh, disintegration are the Orthodox on the one hand, and the State of Israel on the other. Which is really remarkable. Excuse me. Which is really remarkable. Uh, there are many other components to this, but the uh, creation of a community or the absence of a community is a gigantic factor that most people don't pay attention. Most scholars don't pay attention to, because most scholars would have to admit that their community uh, is is falling apart. Um, it's it's really interesting. So it turns out, kedushim to you that the only time you get real kedusha. And uh, the passion, all the rest of it, is within the context of TU, of a communal, of a tzibur. And the only places you have a tzibur today are the from world, that's one, and the Zionist world, or the, the world of the state of Israel, which is the other. And uh, there, listen, there are plenty of Israelis, especially non-from, who move out and move to America precisely because they want to get rid of that. You understand? If an Israeli family moves based to, to the U.S., to California... What they're really saying is, I guess, I don't want to live in that kind of a community. It's a too much of a pressure. But thank God the Ruba the Ruba are staying in Israel. And so they're saying, uh, we are the only ones left over keeping the old uh, Jewish uh, tradition alive, the tradition of living in a Jewish community in which uh, they do put pressure on you, financial, political. In Israel, you got to join the army. Uh, the, 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 whenever the society is able to put demands on you, that's called a community. Any situation in which you say the group in which I live or geographically I'm located can make no demands upon me, I don't accept their right to make any demands on me, 
then you're living solistically, then you're living individualistically, you have a community, and bye-bye, you ain't going to be around Jewish much longer, or your children or grandchildren, that's what, that's the way it goes. So it turns out Kedoshim to you, especially comes together very interestingly on Yomad's mood. Uh, I don't know if the people who started the state For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.